It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. Well, good morning, everyone, uh, here and via the stream. Uh, It seems like we've taken a little hiatus. I've been out of town for a few days, and so I haven't uh, been here in the Daily Thunder mode. But uh, today is a special edition of Daily Thunder, and probably, if I could say, other than the very first edition that we ever had, maybe the most special. Of course, the Set Apart Girl Conference weekend would probably argue that that weekend of Daily Thunder may be the more special, but... This is pretty special to have the start of a semester. It's the first time we've ever done this at the, through a semester. And so this is going to be a special new tradition, but we have a whole bunch of students that are here. Nathan Johnson and I just arrived back late last night from Pennsylvania, so we haven't even met most of the people in this room. There's a lot of advanced students in here, so I, I do know actually quite a few. But uh, so this is going to be a, uh, just a special thing uh, for us uh, to kick off. This, uh, this whole tradition of daily thunder that we have begun is just basically the preaching of the word daily, whether or not anyone shows up in this room or not. It's a discipline. In other words, we feel that God has given us something very special here at Ellerslie. He's entrusted us with, it's like a nuclear-powered truth that can change the world. And instead of just waiting till students come for semesters, we're just like, hey, we're going to get up here every morning and we're going to preach the word of God. And even if no one's here, and the, 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 where that sort of comes from, if I could give you a hint of some of the background even on that, is in, in the book, God's Smuggler, uh, which is the story of Brother Andrew, which is, I'd say, a favorite amongst the staff here. So if you were to get the staff to vote on the best biographies ever written, I'd have a hunch that God's Smuggler would be in the top five of every one of us. Uh, it's, it's that good. It is an extraordinary book. And there's this one story of Brother Andrew where he is, he's going to a, a discipleship training school. Ironically, when it's described, it sounds just like this, which is another weird thing. It's not the reason we like the book, even though it's pretty cool. But it's over in, <clears throat> in England. And so he, uh, was that where it was? Was, was it in Ireland? Where, where was his Bible school? Do you guys remember? Was it in Scotland? Okay, so he's in Scotland, and he's staying with this older couple and this older couple just opens up their home to him because the school didn't have enough room for him, so he was going to have to just work for a while uh, until a, a spot opened up in the school. So he's staying with this older couple, and this older man is an evangelist. He just wants to go out and share Jesus everywhere uh, he is, and he's leading people to Christ all the time and then bringing them home. And so uh, Brother Andrew, his name wasn't actually Brother Andrew. He had a normal name, but that's his code name because he used to sneak into closed countries in the, in the years of the Iron Curtain and sneak behind the Iron Curtain with, with Bibles. So he's known as Brother Andrew, so it's not any kind of super spiritual uh, name. And uh, so this older man takes him to his, the mission house where a lot of homeless people would come and, and uh, every day this guy would just preach the word of God. And so Brother Andrew is there with him and there's a whole bunch of chairs set up and no one's there. And yet this guy is preaching his heart out. And uh, Brother Andrew is just sort of watching this like, okay. And he gets done, he's like, but uh, <clears throat> there was no one here. He's like, well, 
the word of God will not return void. Uh, you give the word of God and uh, God's still going to use it. And there's someone that God was directing all those words to. And just watch. Just watch, Andrew, and you'll see. So on the way home, they run into a guy. And the guy starts from the very point he finished. Sort of, he's like, he almost says something like, and as I was saying to you, and then he finishes the rest of it and finishes his sermon on this poor guy on the street. The guy gives his life to Christ. Boom. It's like he was just readied. And he comes home with them. The rest of the trip home, they come home and he stays the night and gives his life to Christ. It's like, and Brother Andrew never forgot it. He's like, what was that? And so for us as a staff, it's sort of a fun thought. It's like, yeah, kind of like that. Let's get this word of God airborne every day. Let's, let's just start shooting it out and let the word of God, let the Holy Spirit take it and use it in people's lives. And what's interesting is our stream is actually, like people watching now and even podcasts, so it could be thousands of people that are hearing every message, even though the, the seats could be empty, and the, the, it has happened once, okay? Uh, it wasn't totally empty. There was one person in here, and it was Brandon back there running the tech side. It was last, was that last Sunday? Sunday before? So I come in here, and of course for Sundays, there's a lot of seats set up, okay? This is like more than we usually will have for the training. It'll feel more cozy in here for the training, but for Sunday mornings, you have like a lot more seats set up. So I come in, and it's empty. And of course, what am I thinking? I'm a little smile in my soul, and I, I gave it. I gave it, guys. I let it fly, and it was powerful. I was giving eye contact to all the people <laughs> that weren't here. <laughs> So you should listen to that one from either last Sunday or the Sunday before. Good stuff. <clears throat> and so now it's pretty special having you guys here. All right. Well, let's get started. Uh, and there's no better way to kick off our time together today or uh, our semester than with prayer. So let's do that. Father, we just set this time in your hands. We ask that you would lead, you would guide, and you would direct. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me to communicate your truth Lord, I pray that you'd anoint everyone that's listening right now to receive and to apprehend and to understand, to be able to test and to approve the word of God. Lord Jesus, we desire you to be seen more than anything. We desire you to take your rightful position in our lives, in this world. May thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love you. We praise the name of Jesus Christ and we pray in his great name. Amen. All right, guys, you ready to kick off our first message together? Oh, this is going to be fun. Uh, the rightful king. For those of you that know me, I name everything. Even daily thunders get named. And so the rightful king. I have a subtitle for us, guys. The better man is not you. Now, some of you are like, I know that. I'm a woman. And so, uh, <laughs> however, the term in Scripture given for, actually, David, King David in this situation is when God is speaking to Saul, is I have chosen a better man. You see, Saul is sitting on a throne that does not belong to him. He is rejected of God. Saul is symbolic of something. He's symbolic of a first. And as we go through our training this semester, you're going to hear about firsts and seconds. And oftentimes you'll see my body move over here for firsts, and seconds will be over here. Sometimes I'll make it even more dramatic. Sometimes I'll have pedestals over here and over here. A first and a second. Saul is the first king of Israel. First never please God. The first cannot, cannot do the work of the kingdom of heaven, truly. It's the second 
that God chooses. And so I'll, I'll show you that throughout the semester. It's a profound thing. And of course, we have one symbol of it right today, and that's Saul David. And so the better man, it's not you. In other words, sure, Saul is rejected, and then you're going to step in this place and go, hey, uh, that's me. I could take that spot. You're not the better man. You see, if anything, you're Saul. You're the one that needs to be deposed, which means you need to give up your throne. You see, something's wrong in the human body, and that is that we have claimed territory that is not ours. We have claimed a position and a seat of authority that is actually not ours. So who's in charge of your life? That's an interesting question. It's like, if you have to answer you, you have to follow that up with another question. Should it be you? Because you're not the better man. There's a better man that has chosen to rule the kingdom. And that better man is not you. And if it helps if I say the better woman, this just sounds weird when you say it that way, is not you. So the heir apparent. The word heir is really interesting when it, when it comes to even the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we're heirs uh, of something. So what is an heir? The heir apparent. If you're an heir to a throne, what does that mean? That means you're the obvious heir to the throne, the one first in line of succession. So when the king dies, then you are the one who will take his seat. Guaranteed the throne, listen to this, if he remains alive. So as long as that, it's usually the oldest son, okay, but if the oldest son dies, it would be the second oldest. It's the heir uh, of succession, and if he is still alive, then he receives the throne. That's just the way it works. Divine right of kings. So I'm going to emphasize this idea of if he remains alive. And so in the Old Testament, we have a picture of this. We have a picture of a king and his heir. And then we have another one who's known as the better man. Okay, so I'll introduce these characters here. The players, Saul, the reigning king of Israel. Jonathan, remember him? Good, good guy, fascinating character in scripture. I'm going to liken him to you. It's a character that is in flux. It is a character that has to make a choice. Does he side with the first or does he side with the second? So you, the heir apparent. In other words, for all practical purposes, you could rule your own body. You could be in control. This is mine for me to do with as I see fit. In other words, it's like Jonathan's position. He has the ability to actually claim that which is his father's. But his father, like for all of us, is not the better man. His father is Adam. It's Saul, just like ours. That's why Jesus says you must be born again. You see, if you remain in a first and loyal to a first, you die. But you must give up your loyalty to the first and cling to the second, to the better man. David, in this story, is the picture of the better man. The better man. So Samuel said to him, Samuel speaking to Saul, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Boy, that's sort of offensive. Saul didn't really like this either. I mean, there's multiple conjectures, you know, of why Saul even allowed David to fight Goliath. And, you know, one of the thoughts is, 
Maybe he wanted him dead. <laughs> he was willing to give up and become enslaved to the Philistines, but at least he would nullify the promise of God or the prophecy of God that this better man would take his place. I mean, those are just conjectures because it is a strange thing that Saul allowed David to fight Goliath. Okay, you have to admit, that is one strange uh, story. Who's going to allow a kid that is a shepherd boy to step out and represent all of Israel? And if he dies, I mean, if he loses to a champion, giant, then the entire nation becomes a slave. Okay, but he did it. Okay, it's an incredible symbol of the gospel too. All right, so I'm going to redo our list here. Same list, but I want you to think a little deeper here. Saul, he's the rejected king. He's symbolic scripturally of the old man or the flesh. This is the system or the operation that cannot save. Okay, you think about it. Goliath comes into the valley of Elah and begins to boast. Who should have stood up and fought him to represent Israel? Can you think of someone in the camp of Israel that should have stood up? Uh, the king? You know that Saul, it says that he was head and shoulders above all of Israel? That means he was a giant in Israel. So Israel's giant is Saul, and yet Saul is unable to actually do the work. It's the better man that needs to come in and deliver us from the giant of Gath. And it's the same with our uh, story. In other words, the giant of Gath in our story is the power of sin. And if we try in our own strength to fight it, if we try and bring it down in our own sword strength, we will lose and we will be enslaved. However, if we invite the better man into the field of battle and we allow him to fight for us, what happens is that champion of Gath is beheaded. He loses his authority. So Saul is symbolic of the rejected king, the old man, the flesh. Now here's where we step in, okay? Jonathan, you, self, the heir to the unlawful throne. So there is a throne, we all have one. It's a seat of authority. It's a position of control. And we know that we have it because we, we're the ones directing our life. I mean, this is just how life works. It's up to you how you make your decisions, how you navigate through this life, right? It's up to you. I mean, you don't have to ask someone else. You don't need to get permission from God to do these things. And so you're in this very unique situation where you can claim that throne as your own and say, mine. One of the most uh, unique things about a young child is you do not need to teach them certain words. They just pick them up, like the word no. It's weird. A little child just instinctively knows the word, almost like it's hot-wired in. Whatever uh, language they come out and pop out of the womb and they're supposed to be speaking, it's just like the devil sort of goes, the word is no to you. And they're like, no. And they know that word. The other one is mine. Isn't that weird? It's like, mine. And they grab it. Where do they learn that? As if the parents are going, the word is mine. So when I try and take your toy, then you go, mine. You don't teach a child that. A child, for whatever reason, just has that hot-wired in. We naturally cling to our throne, to the way we want life to be. So we pop out. I'm really glad babies are cute because it's rather sad, isn't it? But we need a savior. We need a better man. David, he's symbolic of the rightful king who we know as Jesus Christ. So Jonathan must choose the old man, Saul, or the better man, David. This is you, guys. 
you need to choose. First life, the life in Adam, the Saul life, the old man life. You see, it's a hard life to give up because as long as we hold on to this life, we feel that we have control and that we can decide the course of our life. When in actuality, as long as you remain in that, you're under a sentence, a just sentence of death and condemnation. I don't know why anyone in their right mind would stay over here, but many people do. And so as a result, for us, we need to wrestle with the fact that God is calling us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And so we need to agree with that. But it's a dying process. Could you imagine Jonathan's thinking process in this? So I could be the king of Israel. Or I could be a servant to another king. That's a really fascinating... I mean, None of us had grown up in a kingdom with the wealth of a kingdom, having our father be a king. Okay? We, didn't, we didn't grow up like that. It's a, it's a novel situation that we're bringing up. At the same time, we are very similar and we're akin to it. It's just the kingdom is a body. It's a future. It's prospects. It's abilities, talents, earning potential, fame potential that is latent here. And the Spirit of God touches that and says, will you give it up? Whoa. Whoa, I have dreams, God. I have desires, this, is, this is touches us to the very core of who we are. Christianity intersects us right there. It hits us right at the throne. And it says, uh, that throne actually isn't yours. See, the world doesn't tell you that. The world says it's all about you. The Spirit of God says it's all about him. And if you want to live the abundant life, if you want to live as God intended a life to function, you have to give up the throne. Jonathan is the rightful heir. He has every right to just maintain his position, ignore David, and stay the course, and he will be the rightful king. I mean, legally speaking, he has the right. In comes the better man. You have to choose. That's what's so amazing about this story is what what Jonathan had to give up was a lot. Jonathan, or Jonathan, See, Nathan likes that. Uh, yo, yo, Nathan. So that's, I was talking to him. Uh, that's, that's how we talk at Ellerslie. Uh, <clears throat> so this name is so powerful in light of this story, okay? So yo, Nathan, uh, is Jehovah, that's the yo, gives, appoints, sets, establishes, and permits, okay? So you're like, what? what so... Listen to this divine conversation that God has. This is an imaginary conversation. But just imagine, knowing his name, think about this conversation. He's hanging in the balance. He has Saul over here, his rightful throne that he could claim, and he has the better man over here. Jonathan, it is I, Jehovah, that appoints. Jonathan, it is I, the Lord, that gives power to rule. Jonathan, it is I, Yahweh, that establishes kings. Jonathan, I am the king maker. Jonathan, David is the one I have set in charge. See, this is a statement of the very perplexing dilemma that he's in. His very name makes it clear that God is the one that appoints kings. Isn't that an amazing thought? In other words, will he submit to God's order of things? 
that God can establish a king, not just through the lineage of men, but that he can overrule that, which you see in the lineage of the Messiah, that he is the king of all kings. It doesn't matter if Nero is there. It doesn't matter if Rome is ruling. Watch what God will do. God appoints kings. And so what we see, even in his very name, is that he is being beckoned to allow God to crown the king of his choice. What, a, what an amazing reality, just woven into a name. God has rejected the first. Any of us sort of feel bad for the first? Cain, offering rejected. Uh, you have Ishmael, rejected. You have the firstborn of Rebekah's womb, Esau, rejected. Saul, rejected. It's like, what? Hey, hey, God, well, he didn't do anything. You see, God is making a statement. It's a symbolic statement through the ages. It's the second man. The second man. You know, Jesus is called the last Adam. He's also called the second man. It's really strange. 77 generations in, and he's called the second man. He is. He's the second man. All of us are out of Adam. But Jesus was born of a different father. His father is in heaven. He is the son of God. He is of a different order. And unless you get out of Adam and put off that old man and clothe yourself in this new order, this new lineage, you have no life in you. God has rejected the first guys. We might as well accept that the Bible makes it so utterly clear that unless you are born again, unless you put off the first, you can have no life. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. Well, that sort of sad, didn't it? He takes away Saul in this story. Remember, parentheses are my addition here. That he may establish David. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So when God is working, he, the, the first is the proud. The second is the humble. And God can give grace to the second, but he has to resist the first. So that which God receives, God resists the first, but gives grace to the second. God resists the flesh, but gives grace to the spirit. God resists the throne claimers, but gives grace to the throne yielders. If you hold on to your throne, you are resisted by God. When you let go of your throne, you receive grace from God. That'll become more and more profound as we progress through our semester training because grace is the working of God unto salvation. We are saved by it. But we're not just saved in the past by it, like with a prayer of salvation from hell, but we're saved from temptation, from the trials of life, so that we can actually overcome and do the work of God Almighty in these very bodies. It's done by grace. And so God gives grace to those that yield up this body and say, Lord, you use it, you fill it, you enable it. So the first, they're the proud, the throne claimers. And the second, the humble, the throne yielders. So, of course, this type of a message only matters when we understand that it is applicable to us. What are you doing with that throne? Because that is the question. God is going to begin to work on that aspect of us is this inner territory of the soul, the control position. I understand it's hard. I understand the, the, the fear that comes with like, well, what's he gonna do with me? If, like if he had control, he's gonna do good things. He's gonna do God things. He's gonna do what God does. He saves. He gives grace. He builds strong. 
That's what he does. He's going to make you into a vessel that out of which will flow love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. No surprise here. See, but then there's another side to it that many of us are like, but yeah, where's he going to take me? What's he going to make me look like in the world's eyes? He's going to make you look like him. And he's going to take you where Christ would go. Some of you are like, yeah, there's a catch in there. I know it. Yeah, he went to a cross. And he looked like a criminal. But he did the work of the king of kings. He did it. And still to this day, 2,000 years ago, though he was called a criminal, we know who he was. He was a spotless lamb of sacrifice. And so, yeah, he'll walk us in narrow channels, deep valleys, but he'll never leave us nor forsake us. So you have to realize the guy talking about this grand adventure, the one right now, I'm talking, right? And, and there's difficulty in it. Yeah, I understand that. Loves it. I love this challenge. I love this life. I love the difficulties even that come in because God takes them all and turns them into grand pictures of his grace. It is an amazing thing to be a throne yielder, to allow your life to be held, controlled, operated by the living God. Some of you guys have to be stirred into some level of excitement. I know it's early, but oh, come on. This is exciting stuff. The love of Jonathan, loving the one God has chosen. Jonathan and his response is not just reluctant, where he's like, oh, okay. Okay, God, I will acknowledge he is the better man, and I will yield. I will abdicate my throne and give it to David. doesn't mean I like it. It's just that I'm willing because I'm going to be the dutiful Christian. It's not how Jonathan responds to it. He actually loves David. It's an incredible story when you recognize what's, what Jonathan is giving up. The covenant with the better man. So this is a lot of different scriptures, if you can see that, in 1 Samuel 18 and 19 and 20. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Okay, now that wasn't the response we were expecting. But that's the response that God wants to work in you. In other words, you're giving up everything. You're giving up your life. And guess what? There's no begrudging it. It's not like, God, you really asked for too much. After all these years of giving up to God, you know that I don't look at it and I go, wow, he asked for way too much. In fact, all I could say is my soul has been knit to my Redeemer. And if he wants more, he can ask for more. Whatever he desires, I'm at his beck and call, not the other way around. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David and with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should, uh, that they should kill David. So Saul is saying that he wants... He spoke this to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. You know that that's actually betrayal and treason? What Jonathan was doing is he was siding against his father to side with David. I mean, it's an extraordinary scene. So Jonathan said to David, Whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. Whoa, this is the rightful king, the heir to the throne of Saul. And look at what he says. Whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. 
That's not king talk. That's servant talk. Jonathan, don't you know who you are? You're of the lineage of Saul. You could be great. You could rule a nation. There's a better man that God has appointed. God is the kingmaker. And I submit to him. He is the better man. I mean, this is an extraordinary story. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger. This is after something else happened. And ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. Are you grieved when your king is treated shamefully? This is is an amazing story. What an incredible picture. They entered into covenant together. And I don't know how many of you have ever studied covenant, but it is an extraordinary picture. I mean, the Native American culture, many cultures throughout the ages have understood covenant. The Native American culture, if you violated covenant, you know, oftentimes it was a blood covenant where they would intermingle blood. They would enter into covenant. If you violated covenant, it wasn't just you that would be killed, but it was your descendants for like 10 generations. So if anyone survived, they would be hunted for 10 generations and killed because you violated covenant. This is like serious binding stuff and he's entering into covenant with David. I mean, talk about standing against your father. I mean, this is quite a a picture. The last thing any of us want to do is teach uh, submission to parenthood through this story, right? It's like, well, this isn't the story you choose for that because actually Jonathan is making the wise choice. He is doing what is godly in this situation. The making and affirming of covenant. 1 Samuel 18.3, Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. 2016, Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. 2017, now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. 23.18, so the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. A covenant is an exchange. And so oftentimes in a wedding, a wedding covenant, which is different than a contract, you're going to see an exchange. You see an exchange of vows. You see an exchange of rings. You even see an exchange of names. An exchange of love. There's all sorts of stuff going on. And so when you understand covenant, it's truly beautiful. And so you recognize what is taking place here is a picture of what we enter into with Christ. It's amazing. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So the four sacred elements of exchange. We have a robe, we have garments, we have sword and bow, and we have girdle. Not normal terms, a belt is a girdle. Uh, I should have put it that way because girdle just sounds funny uh, to us. It's like our, our English-speaking ears are like, girdle? So robe is symbolic. So when we're clothed with Christ's robe of righteousness, what does that mean? What's a robe? Remember the father who runs to the prodigal and removes his robe and clothes him in his robe? What what is this? That's authority, position, name, and reputation. It's a significant thing. Garments, possessions, inheritance is what that would symbolize. Sword and bow, protection, preservation, watchful eye of defense, and then belt, enabling power, quickening strength. It's basically saying, all that I have, all that I am, I give to you. It's saying, I give you my position, which is an amazing statement. I give you my name and my reputation. Think about what Jesus does to us. I give you all that I own, all that I possess, my inheritance. 
I will protect you. If anyone harms you, they have to deal with me. That's what actually this covenant means. It's like if, you're, if your guy in covenant was under any sort of duress, I mean, literally what they would do is they'd often have a scar on their, on their forearm. And if someone came to threaten, they would hold up their, their forearm and they would show the scar, which was basically meaning I'm in covenant with someone. You touch me, they will touch you. Isn't that an amazing statement? So protection, preservation, watchful eye of defense, and then the belt, enabling power, quickening strength, all my strength, all my power, everything I have, I give to you. Now that's very smallish when, it, when, it, when you think about what we give to God. He's like, could I have your bow, your garment, your sword and bow and your belt? Yeah, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you my authority and my position. We're nothing. Isn't that a funny thought? It's like, boy, he sure is covenanting with the wrong guy. You see, in this situation with Jonathan to David, you see someone who has so much to give that takes it all and gives it to someone smaller. Jesus has so much to give to us. We have so little to give in return, but it's an exchange, which means we're giving our robe, garment, sword, and bow, and belt as well. He asks for everything. So in a covenant exchange, he basically is saying, robe, garments, sword, shield, belt. It's like going through the DIA security uh, system yes, or a couple days ago. It's like, boy, I need to take off my belt, my shoes, all this. This is more. This is even more. I'm glad uh, DIA security is not more. But... God asks for everything. You know, what's the thought we oftentimes have? He's asking for too much. God, you can't just ask for all of these things. My robe, my garments, my sword, my belt. Come on, God, that's just too much. That's everything. There's nothing left. Now, I want you to ponder who's getting the raw end of the deal. You're giving up, yes, Everything. What has he given up? Everything. Who's getting slighted? If you had scales of justice on this situation, equity, who's getting slighted? Is it you? Mm, no. So our robe, which is our position, name, fame, and authority in exchange for his, will you give up your reputation? Will you willing to be deemed a fanatic and a fool? Will you surrender your name and allow it to be swallowed up in his name? No longer will anything be about you, but your life from this day forward will be about him and his glory. Will you give up position, fame, and worldly authority in order to become royalty in his kingdom? Our garments, our earthly possessions, and our corruptible inheritance in exchange for the eternal treasure of the kingdom. Will you relinquish everything you possess for him? Will you give up the applause of men, the security of financial stability, even the comforts of a self-indulgent existence? Will you give him your health, your wealth, your every material thing for him to do with as he sees fit? Our sword and bow, our human defense in exchange for his almighty defense. Will you let down your defenses and allow him to remodel your life? Will you allow him to discipline you, convict you, transform you into something that this world will reject, revile, and crucify? Will you surrender to him your self-preservation in exchange for his preservation of your existence on planet Earth? Will you allow him to use your life to battle his, his battles, to, life to fight his battles rather than your own self-aggrandizing battles? 
And then finally, our belt. Our ability to perform in exchange for his enabling power and quickening grace. Will you allow him to break you? Will you surrender to him your self-derived strength so that he may replace it with his own heavenly version of world-altering power? Will you give him the privilege of keeping you dependent so that he might prove his might in and through your life? And will you allow him the privilege of showcasing his glory to this world through your existence? He asks for everything, yes. But remember, he gives us everything that could possibly matter in return. Who gets the better deal? Us or God? I mean, if you're going to look at it on paper, we're inheriting everything that belongs to God. He's inheriting everything that belongs to us. <laughs> okay, I, I mean, that is so pathetic. Okay, the one we're talking about created the heavens and the earth. I don't know if you've ever studied the heavens, but they are so vast that it causes smoke to come out of your ears. The speed of light, how many times you go around the earth in one second? Seven and a half times in one second is the speed of light. So if you're moving at the speed of light, it's close to a million years at the speed of light. In other words, even from the dawn of uh, Earth's creation back in Genesis 6,000 years ago, we would not even come close because it's a million years at the speed of light we would reach the next major galaxy. A million years. The Earth has been around 6,000. You following me? We wouldn't even be close to the next major galaxy. That's moving at the speed of light. And it is estimated that there's over 200 billion galaxies. Um, okay. This God has chosen you. And you have a little handful of pebbles. And he's like, uh, could you let go of your pebbles? I'm like, well, this is all I have, God. And he has the inheritance of his kingdom. What are we doing? It's irrational, illogical. Is it safe to say stupid to actually hold on to our throne instead of give it to the one who is the better man? Let him have what belongs to him and you will find life, life abundant and full of glory. The covenant exchange, trading robes. Listen to this, guys. This is so powerful. He took on my sin that I may take on his righteousness. Here, God, here's my robe. What am I? I'm sinful. My position in Adam, he took it on. What's my position? Cursed. I'm a rebel. I'm sinful. He says, I'll wear that for you. You wear this. We exchange robes. I mean, are you catching how grand this is? Why would you hold on to your robe? This is a privilege to give up your robe. The fact that he would take this filthy stuff and he would wear it to so beyond comprehension. He took on my curse, my punishment, that I may take on his liberty. He took on my separation that I may take on his sonship. He took on my shame that I may take on his favor and bear his glory. He took on my sorrows that I may take on his joy. He took on my sufferings that I may take on his comfort. He took on my Adam position that I may take on his kingly position. He took on my poverty that I may take on his inheritance. And even now he takes on my body and wears it as his own. And I, ta I take on his body. 
and I am seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father in the person of Christ. Jonathan took off his robe. Will we? Are we willing to put off our first that we could be clothed in what he has offered us? It's a dying, yep. It's a giving up of life as you now know it, yep. But it's finding capital L life. You're so concerned about losing your, your lowercase l life, which is passing away anyways. You're gonna lose it anyways. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Capital L life. How do you get it? You give up your lowercase version. The life as you now know it, it's time to let it go so that you can live the way God intended you to live. So as a final exercise before we finish, I have this, you're gonna notice it's the same scriptures, but it has an insert your name here. Okay, this is an exercise, right? I want you to at least practice this. I want you to stick your name in here in your relationship with Christ. And I put instead of David, I put Jesus. Okay, so there are some serious uh, messings with the scripture that I, that I did. Same, same meaning, but I just want you to know that. I, I'm, I'm messing with it, but in the most positive sense. The soul of, you could say Eric Ludi, stick your name in, was knit to the soul of Jesus. And, insert your name, loved him as his or her own soul. Then, your name, and Jesus made a covenant because he, she loved him as his or her own soul. And, stick your name, took off the robe that was on him or her and gave it to Jesus with his or her armor, even to his or her sword and his or her bow and his or her belt. Now, the old man spoke, remember Saul, that the old man spoke to you, put your name in there, and to all his or her servants that they should kill Jesus, but your name delighted greatly in Jesus. So, your name told Jesus, saying, my old man seeks to kill you, therefore please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. So, your name said to Jesus, whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. So, insert your name right here, made a covenant with the house of Jesus, saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of Jesus' enemies. So, insert your name here, arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved, he or she, was grieved for Jesus because his, he or she, his or, his or hers, <laughs> his or her old man had treated him shamefully. I didn't do that as perfect as I should have, but it was close, right? Guys, to start out a semester, what a meditation. There's a rightful king, and you are not he. You are not the better man. You are not the one that should rule your life. Some of you cannot figure out how you could be around so much truth, know so much, have so much knowledge biblically, and still be living such a floundering existence. Well, we just started with one of the crux points. Who's in control? You or Jesus? When Jesus holds the central position in your life, when it is him that seats 
sits on that throne, you find that life in every facet transforms. So let's go after that. All right? Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray that you would take these truths and by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would press them deep. You would inculcate them into the depths of our being that there would be no argument, that we would not fight it. But Lord Jesus, we would accept the fact that you are deserving. And it is wisdom to let you have what you deserve. Lord, knit our souls to you. And with the same Jonathan-like fervor, Lord, may we desire to do your will no matter what it is. We side against the first and choose the second. You are worthy. We love you. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.